Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. The future of B2B startups is going to be super fascinating. I've seen how companies have risen and transformed the traditional but outdated strategies that are already set in place. One such example is Penji. This is an on-demand graphic design service as a service company catering to businesses. They've shown what's possible when you instigate change. In today's episode, I get to pick the brain of Penji's founder, Jonathan Grzbowski. We talk about the need to trust the process, growing without using sales reps, how they built customer success into their culture, the importance of putting processes in place to expand, and so much more. What first drew me to Jonathan and Penji was their pricing model. He took the traditional SaaS subscription and applied it to a services B2B business. But once I dug in, I realized that Jonathan and Penji were doing what was providing, I believe, the blueprint for, for B2B companies to grow and scale in 2021. In addition, Jonathan and the team were kind enough to provide us a and the listeners a 15% off their first month if you try Penji. That's P-E-N-J-I dot C-O. Just head over to their website and use the coupon code B2B. That's B, the number two B, founder 15, and get 15% off of your first month. And also as a favor, if you enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe. It'll help us reach more founders. Now on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Jonathan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to kick some butt today. <laughs> it's my pleasure to have you here. I said I'm, I'm super excited to have you because your company, Penji, I believe is could be the blueprint for you know B2B companies of the future. So I definitely want to dig in with into that topic with you. But first, maybe just share with the audience a little bit about your background and Penji, and then we'll we'll dig back into that if that's cool. Yeah, Penji was kind of founded on some form of like a mistake to a degree. We used to be a graphic design slash digital marketing slash SEO slash web design slash web development agency. And uh, and this was probably about, you know, I'm 32 now. So when I was 23, 24, we started the agency and I did that till about 28, 27, 28. And we just did a lot of like you know, again, web design, web development, SEO stuff. And we weren't like the best at it. Uh, we were good. We weren't great. So we would lose clients. We would gain clients. We would work with big name organizations. But to be perfectly honest, there wasn't anything very rewarding that we were doing. We were, and I remember the day that I just felt so defeated was that we got a contract with the school I went to, which was Rutgers. Okay. And we got a, like a website contract. And I remember being like, oh my God, this is it. This is the best day ever. Like we made it, we hit the goal, et cetera. And then we started doing it. And it was just the most frustrating thing on planet earth because the people that we thought we were going to help right. weren't actually the end users. So we kind of came to the conclusion that we just needed to change and we needed to do something. We looked at ourselves and said, like, what are some things that we want to do in our lives is, is we want to help people. We want to uh, build businesses. We want to help other people build businesses. We want to create resources and tools and, and just guides and help people. And that wasn't the way that we were going to do it. And so we kind of, I guess, came up with a few ideas inevitably stuck on this type of business model. Okay. Um, 
but it was so difficult to be able to get to that point in a lot of struggle and a lot of failure. We've are we are 100% cash flow positive. So we've never received an ounce of an ounce of funding. And we did that because of the nine years, like this is my only job that I've ever had in my like, you know, real job that I've ever had in my life. And we've built the business from, again, those mistakes that we made early on in our careers. We saved a lot of cash. We, we invested in the right things. We moved the needle at the exact correct way uh, in order for us to get here. Uh, and now with, you know, a hundred plus co- uh, employees where we're just rocking and rolling, it stemmed from just the idea of us constantly moving the needle forward and accepting that failure and continuing on. So I'd say a lot of this has been hard work. A lot of it has been luck, but you're talking to something that I'm incredibly proud of is self, a self-made individual. Like I, I didn't have, we as a company, we never had any help. So that's kind of just a quick background of Penji, a little bit about me in particular, and just like my mindset and, and things like that. That's awesome. I think it's such a good point. And because I encourage founders, man, if you can self-fund, do it as long as possible, right? Exactly. You meet too many that their whole plan is that, hey, I've got an idea and I've already four rounds of funding out of how we're going to do this. And maybe because I didn't come from that world, I don't understand why you would not want to fund through growth, kind of like you're doing. I know there's times to throw gas in the fire, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, no, I so appreciate that what you did and you know, the fact and the good thing, a lot of the founders I do have on, you know, it's the 10 year overnight success or the three year overnight. Yeah, for sure. There's no real 24 hour overnight success. And, you know, the fact that you didn't have the experience building a business heading into it, I think is is really cool too. And a a testament to what, what you guys have built. Yeah. I mean, like we've literally have done everything wrong many times. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, but I just love the resiliency of our team because if it wasn't for the resiliency of of just constantly moving forward, I know for a fact that we wouldn't be here. So yeah, I mean, to the point of of startups and stuff like that, I think uh, shows like Shark Tank, you know, uh, as great as they are, they've they definitely ruined the idea of entrepreneurship to a degree. And in addition to that, the Instagram culture and the the influencer culture of like making entrepreneur look as if it's a lot cooler than it, what it actually is. And it's really not, it's probably one of the darkest things that you could do in your, in your lifetime. Like I I wouldn't wish the thoughts that I have sometimes in my head on my worst enemy. There are some really, really good days and there's some really bad days. There's definitely more, you know, I'd like to think that there's more peaks than anything else, but there are days in the very beginning where I just questioned everything. I wanted to quit. So yeah, I mean, if you're going to get into the world of entrepreneurship, if you're going to be a founder, then you better strap up and 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 get ready to go to war. Yeah, and you know, one of the other things I took, so again, I've shared offline a little bit. I you know, spent my 25 plus now 30 plus year career bouncing between enterprise and, and startups, and the one thing that I will always remind the the startup entrepreneurs or founders is, man, you got to love the process of what you're going through. I mean, it sounds like you do like the daily grind. Everything's got the up and down. But if you're just focused on what that end game is, you're going to be sorely disappointed, even if you hit that end game. It's just right. It's got to be part of the journey. Is I'd love to get 100%. your perspective that, that, that you share that. Thought. I think that's a really good point. Like I actually love the process. Like I'm obsessed with the process. And I think that's what helps. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that definitely to a degree has, has, has helped, but like I'm just a process 
oriented individual myself. Like I'll be able to just like look at some some things and feedback from individuals and people and be able to assess and, and look at the data and make a, right. a sound decision. But if you're not obsessed with the process, like there's probably for the past three to three years, four years, I can confidently say two years, but definitely I would even say as far as stretch and say possibly three to four, okay. I've done the same thing every single day. Okay. So like, if you're okay with that, then I think you'll be fine. But if that like scares the living crap out of you, then just stop what you're doing right now, because that's how, that's what it takes in order to grow the business. That's such a good point. No, it's so true. And, you know, I quote, there's a, the Iowa state football coach, he's a big trust the process. And one of his famous speeches, trust the process. And someday the process will love you back. You know, you've trusted the process. Now the process is starting to love you. I'm from Philadelphia. So that's the, I'm a big NBA guy. Um, And that's, that's our trust trust the process is is a Joel Embiid quote. I mean, I'm sure he probably did it first. uh, The person you're talking about. But Joel Embiid said, trust the process. And that phrase has always been very important to me. Trust the process. So yeah, yeah I, I, I love that quote. That's awesome. I forgot. I did know that. And there was a little bit of a joke when you guys took a step backwards with it a couple of years ago. It seems like you got the right coach, right team. Is this the year? Right now we do. Yeah. Number one in the Eastern Conference, Doc Rivers. Uh, I'd love for Ben Simmons to shoot the ball. Even though I used to be a huge Ben Simmons supporter of, of just, you know, he's fine the way he is, but now I think it's getting to a point and this is kind of relevant to business too. You kind of get to a point where if you're doing the same things over and over again, and you're not able to introduce new things, then you're going to get stuck in your ways. And I think that's Ben Simmons right now is he's, he's so predictable, right? Like I did the same things for years and years and uh, for two, three, four years, every single day, it was never it was the same type of things, but it wasn't the same thing. It, it wasn't like wake up and answer emails and then, you know, do this and do that. Like there's a lot of processes and changes that have been made, but for the most part, it's, it's like being able to assess your, your life and your day and be able to make those strategic changes. I don't think Ben Simmons has specifically done that, but if so, you have a choice in business, you could be the person that just is so confident in themselves that just goes down the the basketball court every single time you get the ball, you run into somebody and kick out, you know, you can keep doing that, but eventually the defense is going to be able to understand what you're doing, or you can, you know, go up and shoot once, get that off, get that defense a little bit off of their, their, their toes a little bit, have them guard you and come up to the ball a little bit more and then kick out and you have an open three. So there's not a lot of analogies that could be said, but Again, there's a lot of beauty in that process, but at the same time, you have to be able to look at the data in order to make sound decisions, in order to make strategic decisions to move the company forward. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. And I think you're right. It, and I'm curious if it's in his head that he can't shoot it because he's such a good athlete. He's got to have yeah, I don't be able it. to shoot it. So. <laughs> That's the next step in the breakthrough, right? Just as your good segue into businesses hitting, you know, getting through the different thresholds of growth, right? It's For sure. looking at things differently. And that's actually a really good, is a good segue to kind of my next question. So one of the stats I talk a lot about on, on this show is, you know, less than 10% of all startups ever get to a million dollars in annual revenue. And that's just crazy. And the next level up is 10%, less than- 10% you said? 
10% and less than 1% get to 10 million in revenue. And when I look specifically at B2B companies, I don't think that's necessarily an idea problem. I think it's more of an execution problem. And knowing your story now, I'd love to maybe dig in that said, hey, when we started Penji, we're not going to focus on uh, graphic design or design services. And I think I've heard you mention previously, or so you written, wrote about it somewhere about, you know, your first hundred customers, we went out and got them, right? And what I found through these interviews is even the founders that have gone through those thresholds hit the same plateau. And I couldn't, for a while, I couldn't figure out what that, why it was a million dollars. That seems really arbitrary. And it turns out it isn't exactly a million. It's when that founder or co-founder runs out of their network to sell yep. to, and they've yep. got to reach people that they don't know is there's always that, that learning curve. And sure. I know you guys have got through that. So I'd love to maybe have you kind of walk through yeah. as you approach that, what were some of the things mm -hmm. that you did to really help you get idea. beyond that, that point? I like to write, uh, I'm writing this down because I think it, what you just asked is super important. And I think it's not necessarily discussed and I can actually come up with something extremely strategic to help more people with this. Awesome. So you, you came up with a really good idea just now. So I would like to say the first 100 customers were strictly our, our network. Back in the day when I was doing the, the agency, I went to every single stupid networking event on the planet. Like I was the guy that was just like at the network events begging for business. And like, I, I'm so grateful that I don't do that anymore. So the first 100 customers were just asking and begging, et cetera, et cetera. The first the next hundred, I'd say the next like 100 to 500 was probably related to like localized press and notoriety. Now I'm saying like these customers, that doesn't mean that like they're withstanding, right? Like they're right, not, right. they're not like staying on as customers. I'm just saying like the first, those first groups of customers. So I'd say it started from network to a broader radius of network to advertising and then from there, brand recognition and trust, I'd say is probably the next stage. So I would probably say it's like four stages of, of growth. And right now, um, we exhausted our, our, our network. The people in our local local region have has definitely, they definitely know us. I definitely can say in full confidence, they don't know how big we are, which I'm, I'm totally cool with. And then the third aspect that we're kind of, the third and fourth aspect that we're kind of in between right now is the idea of advertising and then that brand recognition, that, that logo type of thing. So we're a B2B company. We're kind of a SaaS company. We're kind of a, uh, not a SaaS company. We're kind of like that awkward in between thing, that new idea of software as a service is service as a service. So that, that level of in between, like now we need to be able to say, Penji is associated with graphic design. And so rather than saying, you know, other companies out there that do graphic design, we want them to associate our name with that keyword of graphic design. And that takes a lot of time and money and patience. It takes conversations like this, where, you know, let's just say you have a hundred people that listen to your podcast and they hear the, my story, our story, they hear Penji's name, that's just going to be a trickle down effect over time. Like I'm not thinking, I'm not doing this podcast right now in order to, to generate a ton of revenue for the business, right? Like that's just not my goal. My right. goal is to be able to talk to you, to create a relationship with your audience and yourself, and then be able to say in five years from now, because this is an evergreen podcast, 
uh, people might listen to it and see, oh, okay, you know, I heard them on this podcast or this show, or he talked to this person. If I do that times a hundred throughout the course of a year or a month or whatever it may be, there's a very, I'm very, I'm very confident that more people are going to start to associate Penji with the word graphic design. And then by the time that they check our website and they go to our, they go to our website and they go on Facebook and they go on to whatever platform they're choosing and they see our ads, then they're going to just start to see us even more. Penji, Penji is associated with graphic design. So I would just to kind of recap the first 100, I'd say network, the first like maybe 200 to 300 or so on is probably your 50 mile radius of where you're geographically located. Then after that, you have that like very strong foundation of people uh, where you have a little bit more of like a expendable uh, income for your business. Then you put that into advertising to repeat that mindset. And then the last aspect would be the brand recognition. So people can become more loyal to your company and to your brand. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, part of what, what excited me about this is we still have a lot of founders that follow what I would call the traditional, right? Well, I need to go hire sales rep and then, you know, Absolutely. Still enterprise companies that are calling, making hundred call, call SDR teams that are making hundred cold calls a day, which is fine. If, if their message is, Hey, brand awareness, you may not have this problem now, but Hey, Penji's here to do really expensive and really hard to do. And, you know, I can give you the example from, you know, I had heard you on a different podcast. That's how we got connected. I didn't really know I needed design services, but after hearing you, I went and checked out the podcast and maybe they really could help a couple of the projects that I have right now. And I I did full disclosure. I did become a customer because you helped me solve a problem that I didn't know was aware. And I think there's so many founders that want to skip from how do I build my brand awareness? So when people do have a problem, they think of me too straight to come by for me right now. Right. So you fast forward and it's a long game and, it I think is. long games changing. And so I said, the way you set this up, I think makes a lot of sense. And I think there's other companies that are starting to do it, but I used to think, well, this is just because it's a newer business. No, you're B2B business. You know, if you keep growing the way you're growing, you're going to become an enterprise company and you did it without, you may have some sales reps that, that do some, some work for you, but you built it the way, a way I would say modern buyers are looking to buy, right? It's online yeah. solving problems. So we used to have salespeople. Oh, interesting. Okay. We actually got rid of them ethically, of course, like we did just fire them. They just, they, they actually ended up being team members of Penji still to this day, but we had people specifically go through. So I'll say this, right. Our business is a little bit different than most because we're in the game of attention. So we want people to remember Penji. Whereas some B2B people, like, I think we talked a little bit off air about the person that does like LinkedIn ads, right? Right. Like this strategy won't work for that person. I mean, maybe it will, but like, I don't think so. I don't, I, Jonathan doesn't, I don't want to be remembered as Penji. I'd rather have Penji be remembered first. So with that said, we're in the game of our name being out there as much as possible. And so we used to have salespeople say, Hey, you need graphic design, you need graphic design. But then we looked at the data and we realized that a lot of people just don't, those customers didn't stay as long as we would have hoped for them because we figured that if we were to have a little bit more of like a custom approach and like unique sales process that they would want to actually talk to the person and get to know us a little bit more and kind of build that relationship. And the data just said that we were completely wrong. 
So that might work for other people. It doesn't work for us. So we've created a demo page. And I think that this is going to be really beneficial for anybody who does this, not just like us, but we created a demo page that basically says, Hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. You'll actually see my ugly face directly on that video, just explaining the process. And then it's up to you to decide whether or not you want it, you know? And, and I think that's the benefit of what we were able to do is we created, we found the problem because we had the problem ourselves and we can speak to it a little bit better. We needed graphic designers when we were in our agency. And that was the problem that we had. And we found a way to fix it. Um, Again, you had that problem, you know, several thousands of other people have that problem as well. And if your problem isn't large enough, then people won't flock to you. If you could find a way to make it a problem and make it and sell it, I'll give you one more story, right? Sure, please. If that's okay. So there's a real, an old friend of mine, he has a business that does advertising on cars. Okay. And I love his business model. I think it's absolutely brilliant. But he bragged about on LinkedIn the other day about how he sat in a, a sales meeting and the person asked him, how can I trust that you'll do the right thing for my business? And he responded in a very coherent way. You know, this is what we do. We have, he tried to build that, that, that loyalty and that, that, that aspect of our foundation, our credibility. I think that was the right word. Credibility was the word I've been trying to find. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. He's been trying to use the, he's trying to build the credibility up to the sales partner. And I looked at it and I see all these people commenting. I said, and they're like, yeah, this is amazing. Thank you so much. This is so inspiring. And I was the only person that said I would have actually walked out of that meeting oh, because, because if, if you get to the table, in my opinion, at least, and you could disagree and we could have this healthy conversation, that's fine. But I think that if you get to the table and that person doesn't already trust what you're doing, then you've already lost them and they will be a customer because you can sell them directly face to face, but they won't be your best customer. Right. The people that are your best customers, the people that we're trying to find, aren't the people that that ask well how are you different than this person than that person like you should be able to go on our website if you ask that question then we need to redo our website to make it better in order for you to clearly understand how we're better than most people if if we do that in my opinion we've already lost and we don't do, we don't even deserve you as a customer and we're not going to fight for you the people that we do, we get customers every day that don't even go to the demo page and don't even read. They, they go to our website because they can see the value. And those are the people we want to find hundreds and thousands of those people and not just beg for the random business from a person that we know isn't going to be the best for us. Yeah, there's so much good stuff in there. We could go three or four different ways, but for sure, one, one for sure. I maybe, maybe just happen the sales. I, you know, I kind of grew up in a sales organization. So for me to kind of pivot my thinking the way it's going, you know, I view sales as, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? You could be the best sales rep. You're going to hit your quota. You're going to do really well. The company will benefit. But if you want to scale, you just can't scale a company off to the back of, of sales reps anymore. Maybe unless you're going after you need your very condensed industry you're going into. There's 10 main customers you get in, you're, you're set, right? Because they're huge contracts. But the markets, the majority of companies are going after, there's just no way you can do that. And then part two, I'd like to tie back to is, you know, the, the aspect of both customer life cycle, right? Without getting too deep, but right. Most folks say, Hey, we sold them. They're in the business. You know, let's, let's hope and pray they stay. Right. And, you know, I had a super simple equation that a, a former boss of mine taught me in the early days, you know, 
ARE, right? Acquisition, retention, and expansion. And do you have a plan for each of those? And too often people think this is how we're going to get new business, but don't put the strategy or the leverage of the right people to maintain the folks that you got on board. And, you know, in your example of the guy that you could power your way to get a customer on board, and then, you know, they're going to be long term an advocate, an ambassador, probably not. But if you provide some great level of service on the back end that made them, you know, kind of enable what they're doing afterwards, it's such a underappreciated, you know, process in a lot of companies. So I'd love to get maybe dig in a little bit because I know that's important yeah. to you to keep just, you know, early on is it customer success without throwing up too many of the buzzwords. You know, yeah. you're taking care of your customers. I'm assuming you built that in early into the process just based on what we've talked about so far. Yeah, I think the idea of how we want our customers to feel is that how can i how can i say this i have two thoughts in my head um we want our customers to feel like they're paying a lot of money for a service right it's like we're not the cheapest service i mean i think we're very cheap uh, we're very affordable we're somewhere around it's value yeah it depends on the value exactly uh 400 400 to 500 to $900 a month, right? I mean, to some people, that's a decent amount of money to others. It's like incredibly affordable. So we want people to receive a lot of people say the best customer service. We just want people we want to treat people like humans. Like we want people to go in and know that even though like it's graphic design. So, so graphic design, you're going to receive something and you're gonna be like, this sucks, right? Like even still, like I, I help run the company with a couple of people. I receive crap graphic design. Like I, I like we're not going to produce the best stuff every single day. It's just mathematically not possible. Right. There is go, you're going to receive something bad. The difference in what I think is where we get it right is that we're okay admitting that we got it wrong, and we're willing to fix it immediately. And I think that's the key to 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 that that level of transparency like we're very clear i think to our customers that we we aren't perfect and i think that the customer knows that we're going to do whatever we can in order to get it right if we got it wrong and if we always get it right then they're going to know that we have their back whether that's like responding to something within like a, a 10 minute time frame um, which a lot of our support staff is told to do to receive at least try sometimes it doesn't work that way but the goal is to, re to receive an email in under 10 minutes. Again, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But that level of like confidence and that understanding is like, if you're mad, then if you, regardless of, your, of your, your mental state, whether you're happy or sad or mad or frustrated or, or ecstatic, we want somebody to respond to you as quickly as possible because your level of attention and emotion is at its highest as soon as you send that email. And so if you can maintain that, throughout the course, then, you know, whether you're mad and you send a, a pissed off email, you respond something, somebody responds to you right away, you're going to diffuse that immediately. And then you can go back to your day and say, you know, Hey, they actually helped me out. If you're ecstatic and you want to promote something, then you're going to maintain that level of, of happiness all throughout. So that's kind of like the science behind our customer experience it's not like the sexiest thing on the planet but it just works for us because we built it into our culture so that's the next thing too the culture aspect of our jobs of our uh what we do is that it, it 
the way our customer, way our team members respond to our customers is the same way that we respond to our team. So it's not something that's like foreign to them. Like right. we are always accessible. Like even co-founders are as accessible as another designer is. If they want to co- talk to us about something, we're there. If they want to message us on Slack, we're there. We're going to respond. We're going to get on a video call with them. And I think that level of communication style then translates into the customer because they feel more confident. They're not walking on eggshells every time they send a message. They know that they're respected internally and then they reciprocate that to the customer. And I have one final point because my co-founder and I talked about this last night. We, we said something along the lines of, you don't work for me, you work for Penji and we work for Penji together. And that's kind of been the mentality of how we grow the company. It's not like I'm not the boss. Like it, the minute somebody calls me boss, I'm like, don't do that ever again. You know, like that's the one time that I'll be very stern because I don't want to be called a boss. Like I'm not your boss. Like, yes, I, I give you a paycheck. Like I don't own you. Um, right. You are a human being. Um, and at the same time, like you have a goal, do your job. Your goal is to do X. It's very clear that this is your job. Do this. If you do it well, you'll be reciprocated, you know, handsomely and rewarded handsomely. If not, then we're going to have a conversation. But because we're so transparent, they already know that going in. So we've never, anytime we've ever had a customer, a, a team member leave, they've already known that they deserve to go. Interesting. And it was never a matter of like, it's been the, the, the rug was swept right underneath them. Um, so I think that level of confidence that our team members have in us and we have in them, it translates to the customer experience. Yeah, that's so good. Can we dig into that for a second? Just do it. Yeah. Cause you've mentioned, I think up close to hundred employees now, and I really love the idea of, you know, company first that you're building this brand, it's bigger, it's going to get bigger. You're going to bring more people in. And then thinking about it from the culture, the early days, right? As you started to expand and bring people on, were you intentional about the people that you were bringing into the organization? Or is this something that kind of evolved as you started to grow and realized, you know, there's certain folks, right? The, the way we treat each other internally should be the way we treat the customers. Is this something that you were looking for early on? Or how did how did that culture kind of evolve as you grow? Because it gets hard to do as you, the larger you it get. It does, yeah. Yeah, I don't, uh, that's a really good question. And I'll be honest, I don't really know what the answer is. I think it was just one of those things that was just started early on. I, I can't remember the, the the actual thing, but we've always had team meetings. We've always tried to keep the team lead meetings light. It's really easy to accuse somebody of doing a poor job, especially with graphic design. So we really try and find a way to say and be fair and as fair as possible. I just think that level of fairness was just built into our DNA of, of human beings. It wasn't necessarily something that we tried to do. I'll speak for myself. My co-founder might have a different answer, but I think that because of just the way that we are raised, I think that's just how we want it to be treated. And it was never like a book or anything like that. It was just like, at first it was, we'll take anybody that we can. Now we're a little bit more strategic, but I think because we, the way we treat them, they just know that we have their back. The other thing too, that we always ask people in the beginning was what is your dream? And we still ask them that question to the day, because if we ask them what their dream is and they tell us their dream might be, they want to be a chef, right? Or they might want to do whatever. We want to be able to know what their motivation is in order to be able to help them better uh, as 
as servants to them. If they want to make a really good living, then we know money is their motivational factor and we might incentivize them to perform better. I don't know. Just giving you yeah. an example. Yeah. Um, if they want more stability and comfort, we can give them guidelines to say, well, here's how you could be more stable in your business, meet these metrics, you'll have a job for life. So understanding what their motivation is allows us to get a better, it allows us to manage better. Yeah, that's so good. And I think it seems so intuitive when you say it, but I don't think a lot of folks <laughs> practice that. So for sure, it's uh, even just going back to the early days, I'm sure that was subconsciously, right? That's the way you want to be treated. It's just the way you kind of brought it into the organization and, you know, mm -hmm. Definitely one thing as I've gotten older, it's I've adopted more of the no asshole policy, right? <laughs> like, or we, we're only going to only work with good people that, you know, I'm only going to recommend people to other good people at this stage that there's just not time for, for that other piece of it. And I know we're, we're starting to run short on time. I don't want to respect your time, but I would, I do want to, we kind of highlighted process. And, and maybe we could just touch on it briefly that as you started to scale, right, you had more customers coming in, you know, when did you start to think about process and build it into the organization and right, either it, what I find a lot is it doesn't happen soon enough and you're really trying to catch up after the trains left the station, or you're spending too much time on it up front. So I'm just curious where and how you found that balance as you started to started to grow. I don't have a good balance. Okay. I'll just be perfectly honest with you. I am so detail oriented in the process that is probably also my Achilles heel. I'll give you an example. The other day I like redid the training for our team members for like the hundredth time. So I'm definitely more obsessed with the process than I probably should be just because I want things to be as like tight as possible. Right. So I think in the very beginning, the hardest thing that I had when it comes to process is being able to translate everything that I do in order to get somebody else to do it. And I like wrote it out and things like that. And I was like, this makes complete sense. And you gave it to somebody and they're like, Oh, what the hell are you talking about? So I think now to kind of help with the process, what I've been able to do is create video yeah. with processes, create, word like a, a text and then in addition to that create presentations to make your process as visual as possible i don't know if that directly answered the question but i think for me in particular to make myself as clear as possible with zero or minimal confusion is like the absolute end goal for me right now it's it's clear and it definitely leveraged and relied heavily on process in early days i can just tell based on it but curious as to as you continue to scale you're not going to be involved you can't be with all the processes so is there are you building kind of an infrastructure or some sort of process to help the process evolve yeah i think the goal that i have in particular is like i have a very i am focused on a very specific part of our company so like my job is promotion sales but in addition to that to the support so that those are my specializations each team member in our company like the executives the managers they all have their own specialization so your job is to specialize in this your job is to specialize in that because we have that level of specialization i think it allows us to further expand how we're able to to succeed because if you're able to um if you're able to grow this particular sector of what you're good, you're good at, then the other parts of the company will grow naturally. And I think that's very true to how we're doing things 
till to this day is I don't overstep the designer aspect of things because I'm not a designer. We have, I have other team members that can do a better job at that. Once I get it to a certain point, then you hire somebody to take over and then they can, they can do it. But I want to end this thought by saying you can't create training for anybody, or you can't pass a process on or, or try to hire somebody until you've done the job. I would say at least six months to a year. No, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah be hard to do that without because if you can't do it yourself then how the hell are you going to get like especially salesperson like going back to what you talked about with salespeople, if you're struggling to get sales and you can't get sales and you think that you could hire somebody in order to get sales for you how the hell are they going to be able to get sales if you can't even get sales for yourself and that's usually the first thing that people do is like i want to be a part of the process and i want to hire salespeople in order to do it for me well if you're not already growing the company you should have an overabundance amount of sales and prospects in your pipeline before you even think about hiring somebody else to do sales for you. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you. And yeah, because you're going to have the passion, especially on the sales side, you know, your product, you're passionate about the business, everything that if you bring somebody up, they're not going to have that passion. So they're going to have to be as confident in what you you're building and hundred percent agree. And I, I promise them to take you one down one more rabbit hole just to tie off on the growth side. Cause we talked about sales and I know I've heard you speak in the past about the content and how critical that is to growing a company. And, you know, I'm, I've come around the last 12 months to see the importance of it and I'm getting better at doing it myself, but may, maybe just kind of tie off of why, you know, that is, that's been so important to what you guys are building and why it should be important to other companies as, as they're starting to look to scale. Yeah. If people come to you as a, I mean, it's attention, right? Like when you get bored, throughout your day maybe not you i don't know but there are people in this world that when they get bored they go to their phones and they check social media or they see a, a cool blog that they want to you know, they see a headline for and they want to like read it and save it and things like that if you're constantly being the resource for people to help them with their business then people are going to start to be more curious about their brand and they're going to naturally talk about you when it comes to content, we invested and still to this day, a lot of money and time and resources and energy into content creation for the sole purpose of just scattering our branding throughout the internet. Again, this is, uh, this is content right here. We're really good at SEO. We're really good at content writing and we're able to rank really well for keywords and then use our advertising strategies in order to convert them as customers. That's still a cornerstone piece to our marketing to this day. But eventually over time, Facebook is going to be limited through their advertising. I'm sure LinkedIn will be as well. And Instagram will be And all these times of, of advertising are slowly going to go away. And then what else do you have left, right? You have nothing unless you have created pieces of content that rank really well in order for people to just like naturally find your information and data. So that's kind of the piece that we want to get to is become a media company where people are subscribed or they save particular entities and they just keep coming back in order to receive that value. Um, whether that's like an email newsletter, that could be it too. So like we're, we, we made it a point in the very beginning to create really good and helpful content. And I think that has followed us throughout the course of our duration of, of our, of our life cycle. And I think that's just going to become a cost of doing business, right? If you want to, that be is, yeah. you're going to have to be in ahead. 
an author. He's a VC, Steve Glaveski. He's, a, I think, out of Australia. And he just recently, among his other projects, started a, a media company that he does believe that each every brand is almost has to become their own publisher or media company in order yep. to maybe compete in this world. And I think the pandemic has helped accelerate that. So, you know, kudos again to you to being ahead of the time, the pioneer. But again, that comes back to maybe that's a good way to tie this all the way back is, you know, I do think that your approach and your model is going to be the future. And we've hardly even touched on, you know, your pricing, right? It's not a, it's a, I don't know, it's a retainer service, you know, soft, not software as a service, but, you know, service as a service. Yeah. Or people, everybody should be thinking about how do we do this, right? Because, you know, anything from a whoop band, right, that used to be your watch, you know, now is a monthly subscription. I don't pay for it. They just send me, you know, so I think we're going to see in more and more customers, it's easier as a business owner to manage reoccurring revenue than it is project-based work. So, yeah. Yeah, easier. So easier. easier to I do think that. Customers prefer it, right? I mean, it's budgeted. You can manage it. You can, especially if they're getting value. That's the whole key. Comes back to what you guys do is you provide value for what it is. And anyway, so anything that we we didn't touch on that you think we should chat about before I get to my uh, my final question for you? Yeah, let's get to your final questions. All right. What is what is one thing that you would highly recommend? I would say to invest more time in yourself. I, by nature, is, I am a relatively selfish individual, but I'm also incredibly self-aware. And I think in order for you to succeed as a business person, whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's a salesperson, whatever it may be, you have to be in the best shape of your life, whether it's mentally or physically. I, in particular, am very in tune with my body. And so I like to go, I like to work out. I like to eat really gross food. And I also like to be really healthy. So in order for me to eat that gross food, I need to work out. But I kind of think of food as fuel and I'm constantly fueling myself. Uh, I'm constantly investing myself. I just got a king size bed, which I'm like really excited about. I'm, I've always wanted a king size bed. And I say that story specifically because I'm investing in my sleep. Right. So I want to be more, I want to be better rested because my last experience of a bed wasn't that. So I'm investing more into myself through working out, through sleeping, through meditation, through, and, and I know like the hipster thing to say is like do meditation, but like to me, I like it, you know, reading books is something I've never really done, but I usually read around like 10 to 20 pages a night just to kind of get out of my phone. I've deleted all the apps off of my phone uh, for the most part, like social media apps and stuff like that. So the thing that I would recommend is to just invest more into yourself and just whatever the answer, I gave you my answers to that. So you just need to figure out what yours are. Yeah, no, it's such good advice. And the one I maybe add to it that I've adopted recently is, you know, keep learning, right? I think mm. one thing that I've been, again, I thought, three years ago knew everything there was about the b2b world <laughs> yeah heading you know blah, blah, blah. but just you know having conversations with you reading you know it's opened up my eyes expanded the horizon my recommendations have changed and you know it's just the world's changing super quick and if you're not paying attention to it you're not taking care of yourself yeah you know, it's not going to matter so exactly. and i did rush myself and i cut off <laughs> i asked you two questions i jumped to the last one you know i, I failed to ask you know what's what's next for you and penji here in the the first quarter what are you guys going to be working on 
So I think we're going to, I don't think graphic design is the only service that we're going to be offering. I think we're going to be expanding that. We actually launched a service called Content Fuel, which is completely separate from Penji. And I would love for people to check that out. It's basically the same thing that we're doing with Penji on unlimited graphic design, but for content. We're also going to be uh, doing some other one-off things for, for Penji as well to increase the customer experience. We don't believe that unlimited retainer based model is the way of the future, although it's very helpful. So we want to explore some other avenues of that too, to make it a little bit cheaper and more accessible for other people who may not be able to afford $400, $500 a month. So that's definitely something that we're going to be doing too. We're also going to be changing the way that the overall experience in order to just help the help it help our customers find the right graphic designer faster. So those are a couple of things too. And for the sake of the conversation, I'd love to be able to offer a coupon code for people that are listening. So if you like the story of what we've discussed today, if you find value in what, what our team has created, you could use the code B2Bfounder15. So B and then the number two, Bfounder15, and you'll get 15% off your first month. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. The listeners will thank you for that as, as well. And I'll include it in the show notes so it's easy for, for folks to find. And yeah, I mean, I'd love to have you back on maybe another nine, 12 months to kind of touch base because I think you're living the journey that a lot of companies are going to go through and kind of leading the way. So sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'd, I'd be honored. That'd be awesome. So appreciate the time today. I know you're super busy taking it out. And is there any, any closing thoughts? If not, I'm, I'll let you go and get on with your day. Kick butt. <laughs> Perfect, man. Go Sixers. You Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, man. You too. Cheers. Cheers.